0: From 2Keto LLC, it's the Obesity Code podcast with Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. Each week, we bring you lessons and stories from the Intensive Dietary Management Program in Toronto, Canada. I'm Carl Franklin. And on the show today, self forgiveness. The Obesity Code Podcast is brought to you by 2Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Today's show centers around patient Diana Blank, who learned that the only way to stay focused on her long-term weight loss is to forgive herself when she slips up. Like most of us, Diana struggled with yo-yo dieting her entire life.
1: uh, I've had, obviously, a history of weight issues. I've been up and down probably since I was a teenager. And I've managed to lose and regain and lose and regain probably a spread of about 100 pounds. After I had my two children, uh, I have two daughters, and I had them finished having children in 2012. I started low-carb, and my husband also did that with me to try and lose weight again. I learned about low-carb actually through Dr. Mercola.
0: Dr. Joseph Mercola is a doctor and nutrition activist who sells products and offers free low-carb information online at Mercola.com, M-E-R-C-O-L-A.com.
1: And uh I tried doing that my husband did it at the same time and he did great. He lost 60 pounds just going low carb. And I was low carb for a year and a half and maybe lost 20 pounds. could not lose more weight. I mean, I didn't even have an apple. So I felt like something was wrong with me that I couldn't lose weight despite being very strict, low carb keto. My husband's very supportive. I'm very lucky to have a supportive family member. And he did a lot of reading and a lot of online research. And uh, I was really excited when he found Dr. Fung. And I uh also felt very fortunate. I live in the same city. So I was able to get an appointment. And I remember going in there with my husband and feeling like something's just wrong with me because I can't lose weight despite doing uh, what I've learned to be you know, the best type of diet. I signed up for IDM in August 2015. And that's when I first met Dr. Fung and Megan. And I um, realized that I needed to do more than just the low carb. I mean, they got it pretty quickly that I knew my stuff when I was talking about low carb.
0: After joining IDM, Diana went in for blood work and got some startling news.
1: And had blood work done and went for my initial consult. And they're like, well, you're pre-diabetic. And I'm like, but it doesn't make sense. I've been eating all these things and doing the right things. And basically what I came to learn from Megan and Dr. Fun was that I'm really insulin resistant and I can't eat all the time. Even if it's low carb, I have to add fasting in.
0: Here's Megan Ramos. Director of the Intensive Dietary Management Program.
2: Diana is one of our in-office patients uh, in in Toronto, Ontario, and she's been phenomenal to work with since the start. When I first met Diana, she had told me about her extensive history of yo-yo dieting for almost 30 years, ever since she was in grade school. She had previously tried low carbohydrate diet. She had done so for about a year and a half after her husband having quite a lot of success with low carbohydrate diets, but she'd only lost 20 pounds and really couldn't sort of figure figure it out. Was her metabolic rate broken uh from the, all of those years of yo-yo dieting? Um what what could it be? Why was she only losing these 20 pounds in a year and a half of going low carb? So Diana and I reviewed her diet and her diet was great. She totally understood what it meant to be low carb. Her protein wasn't through the roof. And when she did over consume protein, she was aware that she overconsumed protein. Her carbs, were great her fat intake was great she was definitely eating just enough just into satiation now sometimes when people go low carb high fat they their weight loss is sluggish and it's slow or they don't experience weight loss because they're eating beyond satiation but this is never something that diana did she had pretty good discipline when she was full she stopped eating There's a couple things here to take into consideration. One, insulin levels are so high, and Diana's insulin level was really quite high, Going low carb, high fat, sometimes just isn't enough to lower that insulin level. So Diana's baseline insulin level was extremely high. I can only imagine what her fasting insulin would have been prior to her one and a half years of doing a low carbohydrate diet. I'm sure it had come down some, but it was just so high that it was taking too long to come down to actually achieve weight loss. So insulin's a fat trapping hormone and when you have plenty of it, toxic levels of it circulating in your blood, all it's doing is collecting fat and when you're storing fat it's not possible to burn fat, you can't do both at the same time. So this is where the fasting comes in. The fasting really accelerates the reduction of insulin. Uh, When you're fasting, you're abstaining from eating. You're abstaining from producing any excess insulin that day. And you force your body to burn body fat. As your body starts to deplete itself of body fat, the insulin really serves no purpose. The insulin is sort of like the security guard that protects that body fat. So when you lose The fat, the insulin levels just come down on their own.
0: So chronic high insulin was a big reason why Diana wasn't losing more weight. But there was another culprit, years of yo-yo dieting.
2: Another issue that we were contending with uh, Diana was her years of low calorie dieting. like 30 years of low calorie dieting, that's crazy. So Diana probably had a very, very sluggish metabolic rate prior to her one and a half years of going ketogenic or low carb. So when we started working with her, I just assumed her metabolic rate was pretty bottomed out too. But fasting can actually enhance your metabolic rate Burning fat requires a lot of energy. It makes your body work hard. And by doing so, that raises your metabolic rate. You're forcing your body to burn fat. You're forcing your body to work out. Therefore, your metabolic rate is going to get stronger.
0: Your metabolic rate, also known as basal metabolic rate or BMR, is the minimal rate of energy expenditure per unit of time while at rest. So it turned out that intermittent fasting... Was working for Diana.
1: It was really eye opening, and I felt like there was actually finally something that that would work. So, you know, despite my best efforts before, it wasn't enough. So, this was a way to help.
0: Well, so far, we've identified two of the forces that were working against Diana chronic high insulin, which kept her from accessing body fat, and a low metabolic rate, which means that when her insulin was low and she was burning fat, she was burning it more slowly. Here Diana talks about one of the reasons why she believes her insulin was so chronically high, stress.
1: Uh, I've had roller coasters. So when I do well, I do really well. Um, And I've had some significant stresses since I started with the program that have led me back to old habits. Then I've had some clearings of some stress and wanting to return and get back into it so you know I've done really well and when I do well I'm a great role model and um, I mean I'm very very pro-fasting I I, I when I'm into it I love it it feels amazing I don't know why I ever end up stopping but those uh those that e- those evil stress monsters go back to their comfort place which is eating garbage which I shouldn't and I know it. Uh, I also have Crohn's disease and I got into a flare-up and that's a really tricky one uh, because you crave carbs, they're simple, they're easy to eat, there's no fiber and fiber is not your friend when you have inflammatory bowel disease, but it's something that you have to find a balance with. So I was off uh, and downhill for quite a quite a while from April 2016 and I did keep in touch but I stopped going to appointments, uh, to be honest, mostly because I felt embarrassed Um, that I felt like I was failing. And I did keep in contact with Megan and explain to her what was going on. And she was basically my cheerleader on the side that she totally understands. This is normal, this is okay. Anytime you're ready, we're here for you. It was in about January of 2017 that I felt, okay, I think I've managed my stress enough that I'm ready to go and really get get some more support uh, one-on-one or in the groups. And I went back and I was doing well again um, until August of 2017 when I had another stress bomb. I was involved in some lawsuits and things. I just could not deal with life and I got sick and I wasn't doing well with my Crohn's and I let Megan know again and she said, that's okay, we understand and whenever you're ready. And so it took me a while, but January of uh, this past year, 2018, I went back and I've been trying to low carb since, and then I've been actually quite strict since March, and I'm doing well. And I'm making myself more accountable now by making myself go more often. And the challenge is always going to be not allowing those stressful events in my life to turn into an eating bench for comfort.
0: And this is where we arrive at the theme of today's show, self-forgiveness. Everybody slips up. And we can all think of reasons to justify that, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that you get right back on the horse the next day.
1: Uh, one of the things that I always know is I've got the support of my family. And also, Megan's amazing. She's She does nothing but praise me for being human and says that everyone goes through this, even people that you might think are perfect and never fall off the wagon. It's not true. Um, even her and Dr. Fung eat things. Sometimes they shouldn't, and it just makes you feel human again.
0: Diana was beating herself up pretty badly every time she fell off the horse. And if she hadn't learned how to forgive herself and move on, she may not have had the success that she did.
1: So what has happened when I've fallen off the uh, wagon is I've had a stressful event. I've had some previous uh, skeletons in the closet come back to haunt from, you know, old business ventures and work things. And they've been very difficult to deal with. And I think what happens is I just go, oh, whatever, tonight, I'm going to have this. And I've done that in the past. But when I'm really feeling good, and I do the fasting, I just fast for a couple of days, and I don't really need to worry about it. The problem is when is that mentality doesn't come back and I just keep on riding the wave, well, just one more meal like this or oh, I'll just have this or my kids will have it and they want to have it, so I'll have it. And it's just really easy to get on that slide and keep going down. It's really, really hard to stop yourself sometimes. Um, and I've done it many times. I've seen postings on the groups where people say, well, I'm just getting back on the wagon and, and it's common and I've gone through it too. And I think one of the most difficult things is not beating yourself up over it, is letting it go and getting back on track. And knowing that you can always get back on track. The biggest challenge is allowing yourself forgiveness and just moving on. And that's something that's taken work. Um, Sometimes I can get back into something quicker than other times. One of the benefits with This lifestyle is it's so flexible and I feel like it's the absolute best and correct thing for me is I know that when I decide I need to stop and get my life back on track, it's effective and it's effective very quickly. And I know that it's not like other diets where you try it and then, you know, you're on it for a long time. It works. Then you can't get back on and then it gets harder. This I just feel you can pop in and out of your life so easily. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, Maybe it's not great to put it on pause, but you can just take it off on pause anytime.
0: As she mentioned before, Megan Ramos and the staff at IDM encouraged Diana to not beat herself up, to get back on the horse, and that was really important. Here's Dr. Fung.
3: One of the things that we do in our intensive dietary management program is we try not to get on people and some people need a bit of a sort of kick in the ass Um, and that works for some people and uh, we do try and do it sometimes although um, most of the time we don't have to because people usually beat themselves up um, a lot for their so-called failings uh, one of the things that we try to do is educate more than anything else. And one of the things we want people to understand is that we don't see obesity as their fault. I see obesity as a failing of the medical community to provide the correct advice that people need to lose weight and not be diabetic. That is, uh, to be specific, I think that we should tell people that eating sugar, eating all the time, like several, you know, multiple snacks throughout the day, six meals a day, uh, sort of thing is fattening. I think eating a lot of refined carbohydrates is fattening. So one of the things that we see a lot of is uh, this sort of slip up. And this is why we sort of insist on following people over the long term because diets is not about a three month or six month weight loss. If you look at the studies of weight loss, most diets do fine for three months or six months. And then there's this sort of plateau and then there's this weight regain. There's lots of triggers for it. In Diana's case, she had lots of uh, external stressors. But we see this all the time that people start to slip up and it's, it happens all the time, so uh, we don't have to uh, beat people up over it because they know they've slipped up. They, they can see the, the numbers on the scale as well, as well as we can. We're here to help, we're not here to berate people. Very few people focus on the long term, but that's the only thing that really matters for health. Because if you lose weight for six months and then gain it all back, you're not actually better off from a health standpoint than you were in the future. Uh, Because if somebody lives 80 years, that one year of low weight isn't really substantial. But if you can get a little bit of weight off, but keep it off, then you're a lot healthier uh, than you were if you simply lost a whole lot of weight for one year and uh, and then gained it all back. And that's one of the reasons that we like to follow people over the long term because we see it more as a sort of way of life, way of eating.
1: Uh, I, it's a, it's absolutely a work in progress to forgive yourself. Um, I think that I had I had a difficult upbringing as a teenager. My parents were very focused on me not eating things I shouldn't. Um, actually, when it, when I was a teenager, that's when my weight problems really started. I remember being younger than that and my parents telling me, oh, don't eat that. Don't eat that. You can't eat that. You can't eat that. And when I look back at pictures as a child, I was never overweight. I don't have an overweight family. I don't have anyone that's diabetic in my family. My parents were always healthy, but they'd single me out. Maybe through old stereotypes that the girl has to be beautiful and the boy has to be really smart. And they did that to me often. And that really bothered me. And as a teenager, they would do that and it would make me feel bad. And then so you know, it's almost like I'd sneak food just despite them a lot of the times. So that became hard, and then I was uh, on my own at an early age, 20, and, uh, you know, a lot of my weight gain happened in my early 20s because I didn't have anyone there telling me what to do. But I always didn't want to be like that. I never felt okay. I never felt, well, I can be happy and fat. No, I was never happy and fat. I only felt good when I actually really felt good and self-confident. So I have been dealing with these types of m- emotions. Uh, I'm 43 now. I've been dealing with them since I was, you know – 10, 12, 13, since I realized, you know, being aware of your body means something. I'm so conscious of how I feel because I don't want to do to my daughters what my parents did to me. I don't tell them that those things matter. I don't focus it. I always try and tell them that they're strong and they're smart and they're beautiful because all of that makes you feel good. I try and have them make good choices, but I don't single them out for making other ones. And I'd never speak poorly about myself in front of my children. I try not to speak poorly about myself, period. You know, it's been, it's been a process. It's, a, it's, it's really hard. Cause then when you fail again, you kind of feel like kicking yourself and you have to remember that, you know, I, I actually have said to my husband, I feel like I'm a write off. And he would bring me back up. He's like, you're not a write-off. You're nowhere close to being a write-off. I, I'm very lucky to have people who love me and that support because I, I do realize that I'm not a write-off and it's never too late to turn it around. And I have to do that. I have to do it for myself because I want to see my daughters grow and have children and hold their babies. And so I, I have to keep keep believing that there's going to be that time when eventually everything will sink in, that I don't let my emotions get the better of me. And sometimes that can take a long time.
0: One thing that motivated Diana to go back to fasting after a slip-up was just simply how she felt fasted. She felt so good that after doing it a couple of times and getting back on the horse and getting back on the horse, she remembered how great she felt and conversely how she didn't feel that way when she was eating even if she was eating a ketogenic diet
1: i feel fasting allows me to be really focused and i have so much energy and i feel healthier and then sometimes when i start eating again i don't feel as good even if i'm eating things that. I know are okay to eat. I find in a fasted state, I always feel physically better and I always feel mentally better and I'm always more positive. It just has uh, that upswing of everything good. I do feel I have more control over what I eat after fast. I definitely feel I get fuller quicker. Um, I feel like I know how much good I've done, that I don't want to go and mess it all up So I do feel that having those fasts, especially having those longer fasts, I've just done something so good for myself. I do feel like it lets me have some control after. But I think there's always a fear of losing that control again.
0: Diana's first fast went remarkably well.
1: So the very first time I started fasting, it was the August that I joined the program in 2015, and I had my mother-in-law visiting from Winnipeg, and she is also pre-diabetic. And again, very supportive family, is appreciative that I want to try and do something. And she said, I'll do it with you, Diana. So here's my 60-something-year-old pre-diabetic mother-in-law, and she did it with me. And we fasted together for eight days, our first time ever. And I felt awesome. I was in the garden. I love gardening. I had all this energy. And I'm very open and I talk about it. I was talking about it with my neighbors and they were just floored. They couldn't believe how much I could do. And then when I said, well, you know, my mother-in-law is doing it with me, they were even more shocked. And she felt amazing. And she said, I never, ever planned on doing that, but I did it with you. And I don't think she thought that she would feel so good or have such a good result. And it was such a positive first experience, despite being scared at the idea that you're not going to have any food. It was just wonderful. And um, that led me to continue quite uh, consistently. And it also opened my eyes up to, I think, my mother-in-law who thought maybe at her age, maybe there wasn't much that could could help her. So it also changed her perspective. That was really positive Positive
0: outcome. Dr. Fung and Megan don't recommend extended fasting for just everyone and rarely start their patients with an extended fast. Not everyone can safely fast. If you have less than 7% body fat, if you are malnourished, if you're taking certain medications, if you're pregnant, or breastfeeding, you are not a candidate. For most other people, it's perfectly safe to not eat for 24 hours which is typically how Jason and Megan introduce fasting to their patients.
1: So one of the things I've definitely learned for fasting is when I want to go a little bit longer than just a 24-hour fast is salt.
0: When insulin is high, we reabsorb back sodium that our kidneys have already filtered out. When insulin is low, we dispose of excess sodium normally. That's why Jason and Megan encourage people who are fasting to take more salt
1: salt is my best friend i have a little vial of uh, himalayan pink salt that i keep in my purse and i don't particularly love the taste but i'll shake some out in my palm toss it in my mouth and down it with my club soda or my water and i really really like the salt it's it's almost an instant headache cure and it really makes me feel good I'm also a coffee drinker. I've never had a problem drinking coffee black. So I'll have my, you know, two or three cups in the morning and then switch to club soda. So I keep that uh, that perspective. But salt is absolutely the the most key ingredient for me to, to get by on the long fast.
0: Diana was a bit of a different patient from the typical patients that Megan sees at IDM. And that's because her social life was a little bit haphazard.
2: One of the things that worked really well for Diana was uh, forgiving the structure that we usually recommend with people. A lot of people do very well with structure, knowing that they're always going to fast on Mondays or they're always going to fast on Wednesdays. That didn't work so well with Diana because she is a mom with young kids and she's young and her social life can be a little bit chaotic. And the biggest problem we have with patients that fit Diana's profile is just because life's so busy, they can't quite figure out how to fit fasting in uh, to their lifestyle if they can't do it in a structured way. But Diana was really able to fit fasting into her lifestyle even though it wasn't structured whatsoever. Some weeks Diana would only be able to fast a couple of times for 24 hours and sometimes she would go fasting for three, five, nine days even at one point She really stuck to her guns in the sense that if she didn't have to eat, she didn't eat. Because there was enough instances where she had to eat in her life. So she let her social schedule and her work schedule sort of dictate when she was going to fast. So if she had a Monday that she didn't have any work or social commitments, she fasted. She stuck to her guns. If there was no set rhythm to it, she just made sure if she didn't have to eat that day, she didn't eat. And again, some weeks she fasted very little, and some weeks she fasted throughout the entire week. So she experienced tremendous success.
0: So, Diana, do you have any tips for those who want to try fasting?
2: I think the
1: key to getting through a fast sometimes, and I know I've heard other people say it, is to keep busy. And it's true. I can work and fast no problem. I can be in the garden all day on Saturday for eight hours and not even think about it. But if I'm home and I'm not doing anything, and I know dinner time's coming, that's when it becomes more of a challenge. And when I'm really, really, really determined, I can push through it. But when I have things to do, it's very, very easy for me to fast. It's boredom that's uh, that's the culprit to a lot of downfalling.
0: When you fall off the wagon, what do you typically do to get back on it?
1: So when I've had a, a bad uh, few weeks or maybe even months, if it's been really tough, um, I know the easiest way is for me is to just go back to like a high fat diet. This past time when I've had to, you know, get my life back on track, I had a really, really fatty diet for a couple of days just to get off the sugar. So I'd have sauerkraut and bacon and smother it in sour cream and uh, make tons of guacamole. And uh, I make like a homemade mac and cheese and I do it on roasted cauliflower and it's great. And those are so heavy and so, so delicious that I really, really was satisfied. And then I just keep eating keto until I don't feel those highs, those spikes, those up and downs from not having sugar. And then once I've done that for about a week or two and I feel good and I feel like I can start, then I'm like, okay, that's it. You know, tomorrow, that's it. I'm not going to eat. And that has been fairly successful every time I've needed to get back on.
0: Tell us about your weight loss since joining IDM.
1: When I did start doing the intermittent fasting, I did weigh myself and I was close to the 260s and it didn't take long for it to start coming down significantly when I was doing intermittent fasting. Before my first hiccup with stress and my kind of some life-changing events, I did manage to lose about 50 pounds or so, um, you know, in about five months, which I've never been able to lose that much weight that quickly. So it was obviously the right thing for my body because I was responding so well to it and I didn't exercise at all. I was about a size 18 and I got down to a size uh, 12, which was very good. Um, I'm about 16 now, but I've lost weight because I had regained some. So I'm working back down towards that goal and I, I know I'll get there. So just a matter of time.
0: That's the right attitude. If you're in it, be in it to win it for the long haul. As Richard Morris and I say, just keep calm and keto on. Or in Diana's case, keep calm, keto on and fast whenever you can.
1: Every time I meet people and they start talking about nutrition and, you know, oh, they're trying this and that, I kind of try and not be too aggressive, but I try to open their mind up a little bit about it. And they think the idea of not eating is crazy. We're all nuts, right? And I try and explain that, you know, we have so many meals a day, just drop one to start. I always try and say, you just make baby steps. You don't have to do it all at once. And well, how long have you fasted for Diana? I said, well, I've done short fasts and I've done long fasts. I said, the longest I've ever fasted for was 12 days and it was great, I felt great. So, you know, I'm still alive, don't be scared. Uh, I have encouraged people to try it and there are people who, who do do it now. And I feel great because I feel like I don't know what I would have done if I didn't discover, um, or I should say my husband discovered Dr. Fung and Megan, because I thought I was doing everything right, but it wasn't effective. So I try to encourage people to keep an open mind. I have a general open mind on everything in life. Uh, Not everyone's like that, but it doesn't hurt to try and when you spot those people, give them some good information.
0: Did symptoms of Crohn's improve?
1: Not eating helps with Crohn's disease because then your bowels are kind of on a rest. So, my Crohn's, I'm fairly lucky. I'm mild to moderate. Um, I was in remission for many, many years. And to be honest, what triggers my Crohn's worse is stress and it's not the diet. So, when I, my Crohn's is not stress, it didn't really matter if I was eating a lot of fiber or not a lot of fiber. I was okay. Um, but Not eating in general really helped my bowels when I was in a flare-up. But when you're in a flare-up, it's really hard to not eat. So it's a little bit of a, you know, tug of war there. (laughs) So it does help. It definitely helps to calm things down.
0: Did fasting help in any other way?
1: There's some kind of interesting, weird things I noticed from doing intermittent fasting and keto, like... Uh, probably like most women out there who've had kids, uh, I get up to pee at night, sometimes two or three times. Um, But when I'm fasting, I don't get up to pee. I don't know why I'm drinking, but I don't get up to pee. And it's one of the most pleasurable things to actually sleep through the night. That's something that's really, really nice.
0: (laughs) Anything you want to say about IDM?
1: I'm really happy. I found Dr. Fung and Megan. I think that it's basically... The right key for the lock. Uh, it probably is for most people. Um, I think it's amazing how much information they put out there so that anyone who has an inkling to go and look can find it. I think that's a lifesaver for so many people. I mean, I'm Canadian, live in Canada, have great healthcare, have access to physicians. Not everybody has that, uh, other places. So, you know, this advice is so helpful. It's wonderful and. I've never met anyone quite like Megan Ramos. She is a cheerleader through and through, whether she's jet-lagged, sick, having personal issues, she is always there to support um, people that are looking for help from her. I I can't say enough things about her, she's probably one of the most amazing people on this planet.
0: Congratulations, Diana. Your story is inspiring, especially for people who feel like they're at the end of their rope. Well that's our story for this week. You've been listening to the Obesity Code podcast, lessons and stories from the Intensive Dietary Management Program. The Obesity Code podcast is brought to you by 2Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And you can support our mission by making a monthly pledge, no matter how small, at patreon.2keto.com. I'm Carl Franklin. We'll see you next time.